Please join me in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we're going through a series through the book of Acts, considering what it means to be a church in action. In this chapter, we've already considered the account of the crippled beggar who has been miraculously healed by the power of God while at the temple, being laid at the gate beautiful every day to beg. Born a crippled, never walked. Miraculously healed people behold this man walking and leaping and praising God and they begin to gather at Solomon's porch to see what is taking place. And let's pick up the account in verse 12. We'll read through the end of the chapter. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of the until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto your fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Amen. So we're going to pick this account back up in verse 16, but before we do, we just refresh our minds a little bit. In verses 12 and 13, Peter seeing this crowd gather, begins this sermon by directing all the attention off of them and back to God where it belongs. Then in verse 13, we saw in conjunction with verse 25 that Jesus is the promised seed of the covenant made to the fathers. And then last time, we saw in verses 13 through 15 how these early preachers always stressed that the crucifixion was the greatest crime committed in human history. And they also stressed how God resurrected Christ because He was our sinless sacrifice. God was well pleased with Him. And we saw that these apostles, they were witnesses of the resurrected Lord. And now you and I are to be witnesses of Christ. And we can do that by people seeing the difference that Christ makes in our life. That proves that God is alive because a living God can change you from the inside out. False gods 
there's not going to be a change. And so we have to demonstrate that we know the risen living Lord because He's making a difference in our life. And remember that this message by Peter here, it is still very controversial to be preaching this so close to the events of the crucifixion. And it's a dangerous message to preach, but we must never back down from the truth. I'm not saying we have to be ugly or anything like that, but we ought to stand on truth firmly and boldly proclaim what the Bible says. We don't have to shy away from preaching the truth. Now, that's a very condensed recap of the last three weeks. If you missed it, please go back and listen. Let's just look at verse 16 tonight. That was enough for me. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So the context leading up to this verse is Christ. So when Peter says his name, Peter is still referring to Jesus. Using the term name was a common Hebrew way of referring to someone's authority. And we read a lot of the importance of Jesus' name throughout the New Testament. And of course, it's more than just a name. It's a name above every name. Amen? And it refers to the person of, of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verses 9-11, through 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that verse is not telling us that we're all going to bow before a statue carved Jesus. There's not going to be a sign with Jesus on it and we're going to bow before that because it's the name of Jesus. But it's telling us that we are going to bow before the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But no one is saved just by merely speaking the name Jesus. But one is saved when they place their faith in the person and work of Christ. Otherwise, otherwise, if you just call out the name of Jesus, it does nothing for you with no faith. It's not going to do anything. Listen, even the demons can say the name of Jesus. We heard a little bit about that in Sunday school. But Matthew 8.29, And behold, they cried out, the demons, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? It did them no good. They can say the name, but it doesn't mean anything. Not having faith. And so when we read of the name of Jesus, it goes beyond just a mere reciting of His name because there's nothing magical about speaking the name of Jesus. We'll come to this in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. And so they're going to gather together these that are possessed and they're just going to say the name Jesus over them. Saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons, one Sceva a Jew, a chief of the priests, which did so. 
Remember what the evil spirit answered them? Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? It did nothing for them. Because Jesus' name isn't to be used as some good luck charm. Or some spell that you can speak. And Speaking His name, you must have faith in His person, His power, His authority. In olden days, an emissary might be sent by the king in the name of the king. They had power, they had authority. An ambassador may be sent to represent a president. They have been given power and authority. Moses said to God, I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name. I was coming to Pharaoh in your power, in your authority. And I think it's important we understand this simple thought here because some think so long as they invoke the name of Jesus to a prayer, to a plan, or whatever, that somehow everything's going to be okay because we affix Jesus to it. Jesus did teach us to ask or to pray in His name. And to be sure, it's a hallowed name, not to be spoken lightly. But it is only effective if there is faith in who the name represents. Is everybody with me or is this like... Okay, I'm getting this suspicion like everybody's doctrine is being just totally blown out of the water here. You may just be tired. I see some of you look sunburned like you went to an air show or something. And, amen, I... I can only imagine how you feel. I'm hot and I didn't, I'm not even sunburned. All right, anyway. I'll often conclude a prayer with through the power and authority in Christ's name. Praying in Jesus' name is correct so long as there is faith in who Christ really is. And so Peter, he states his name in verse 16, referring to Jesus. And then he adds, through faith in his name. Because that's the key. There has to be faith. Through faith in Jesus, the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do that which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. And so there has to be faith. Faith in a person. Faith in Christ. Faith in His power and authority as God in the flesh. And we're told in verse 16, through faith in His name hath made this man strong. Now, there's debate on who all is exercising faith in this account of this crippled man being healed. Some say faith in Christ was only being exercised on the part of Peter and John and none by the crippled beggar. For certain, Peter and John had to have faith. If you recall the account when some of the disciples could not cast out the demon from the father's son, and the demon tormented him often, the Bible says, throwing him in the water and the fire, they could not cast out that demon. Jesus comes down from the mountain, has no problem casting the demon out. Remember that? And the disciple says, why why couldn't we do that? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. And then He went on to add, you know, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. And so there there had to be belief. There had to be faith. That was their problem. And so clearly Peter and John had to have faith 
in, the ability, in Christ's ability to heal. And while the text never says definitively one way or another, I'm personally of the opinion that the crippled beggar here is exercising faith in Christ as well. When the miracle occurred, Peter said in Acts 3.6 here, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What is he saying? Not some magical spell in the name of Jesus Christ, but in the person, in the power, in the authority, in who he is. Rise up and walk. And I believe he had to have faith in that. Uh, sometimes you will hear on TV shows, I don't know if a policeman's ever really said this in real life. If you're a policeman and you have, let me know. Um, stop in the name of the law. <laughs> the speaking of the word law isn't magical. It's what the name of the law represents. Look, this is the best I could come It was either this or stop in the name of love. Which one would you prefer? <clears throat> so stop in the name of the law. That's what we're going with. It speaks of authority to command and the power to issue such a command. It's in my head now and I'm hearing it. But in order for that phrase to be impactful, the one hearing it must have respect for law. Or it's not going to have any, they're not going to stop. Just because somebody shouted stop in the name of the law, they're going to be like, yeah, right. Likewise, I would think this crippled man needed to have faith in the power and authority that is through the name of Jesus or it would have had no impact upon his life. In the other account in Acts chapter 14 that so closely marries, uh, mirrors Acts chapter 3, Paul there, he sees a crippled man and he, the Bible says that he perceived that he had faith to be healed. And then he said, rise up and walk. And I believe that's what's taking place here. But don't come to me and debate it because I don't want to. And then uh, when you read a verse like verse 16, the, the, the fact is it really depends a lot on how you read this verse. There's different ways you can read this. Because Peter goes on to say, Yea, the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness. This is where it took me way too long to think about this. Is it saying the faith which is by the crippled man hath given the crippled man perfect soundness? Or is it saying the faith which is provided by Christ hath given the crippled man healing? Or is it saying the faith by Christ given to Peter and John gave the crippled man healing. You may not care, but you're going to hear everything that I, I wrestled with. Because I chewed on this for hours. Too many hours. And I'm still not dogmatic. But if anybody cares, you'll hear my opinion. For sure, I've already mentioned, Peter and John had to have faith in Christ. But if that's all that was required, and, and there were times Jesus healed when there was lack of faith. If that's all that was required here, though, I, I think we can quickly begin to venture into this realm of man worship, looking at their merits. You know, if you really want to, be, you really ought to go to Peter and John. And I think when we look at it from that angle, you can start to look at their holiness, their power, as what you rejoice in, in finding the healing, instead of just in Christ. Which is why in Acts 3.12... 
When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? So while Peter and John had to have faith in Christ, I don't think the intent of this statement here, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness, is to say this was all one-sided on their part, with no faith at all by the crippled beggar. How about the debate that this is saying Christ is the giver of the faith? Well, before I proceed in this thought, I, I do want to say that I believe God places the power or the attribute of faith in everyone to be exercised, but it's up to you to decide how you're going to exercise your faith. I think, I think you have faith. It just depends how you exercise it. And in that sense, God has given you faith, but stay with me. The Bible is clear in Hebrews 12 too that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. But I personally take that to mean Jesus is the one we place our faith in because He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the object of our faith, faith in the gospel of Christ. But the predestination folks will take that passage in Hebrews 12 too and say that Jesus is the one who gives us saving faith, but He doesn't give that saving faith to everyone. They will try to use Ephesians 2.8. It's amazing how Ephesians 2.8 in our camp can mean this, and Ephesians 2.8 in their camp can mean something totally different. They use Ephesians 2.8 which says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What the predestination people will tell you is that what that verse is saying is, the gift of God is the faith that He gives you to be saved. We believe the gift that He gives you is salvation. He gives it to you through your faith being placed in Him. So it's just amazing how one verse like that can be totally read different. And same things here in, in Acts 3.16. Now, I think Ephesians 2 is clear. Once a sinner places their faith in Christ alone, then they are saved. The only verse I'm aware of in the Bible that tells us where faith comes from is Romans 10.17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I like what the people's New Testament commentary stated here. If God, by a miracle, wrought faith in the heart, He could dispense with the preacher. <laughs> what are they getting at? It's this. Since preaching of the Word is needed, then faith unto salvation isn't a gift so far as predestination is concerned. But salvation is the gift through faith. So I'm not sure the middle of Acts chapter 16 here, uh, 3.16, is saying the faith was given by Christ to the crippled beggar to be healed. I really appreciate what Alexander McLaren had to say on this thought. If Jesus Christ could save everyone without terms or conditions at all, He would be only too glad to do it. In other words, what, what Brother McLaren's saying there is he's of the opinion that faith by the crippled beggar had to be necessary. And I'm of that opinion as well. We know according to 2 Peter 3.9 that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But if our Lord were to only give saving faith to some and not to others, then I don't see how it can be true that our Lord would desire all to be saved. And so as of now, for what it is worth, my opinion as far as this particular passage is this. I think when we read, Yea, the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness, is telling us that this crippled man did place his faith in Christ. And I personally feel the wording of this verse lends itself to that conclusion. 
at least in my mind, the verse begins with faith in Christ, but it seems, the attention seems to be turned to the crippled man in this verse being healed. So I think it would read like this. Faith in His name, that would be faith in Christ, hath made this man, the beggar, strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him, the beggar, hath given him, the beggar, perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And I'm fine if you disagree with me. It's just my opinion. Now, to be clear, when all is said and done, this account is all about Christ. And I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. It's all about Him and His goodness. For without Christ, we can do nothing. He is the great physician who alone has the power to heal. Amen. Now, if I thoroughly confused any, Brother Palmer, you know why I had to cancel now. This was killing me. If I confused any, let me just put this on the bottom shelf. Why didn't you do that to begin with? I don't know. (laughs) Faith was the means, Peter the instrument, and Christ the cause of the cure. That's it. Now, I probably wasted your time. I'm sorry. Let's finish examining this verse with what is certain. And that is, Christ healed this man completely. It was faith in Christ which had made this man strong and gave him perfect soundness. We see first off that a great miracle has taken place. There was no denying that this man had been healed. Peter says, it was a man whom ye see and know. In the presence of you all. Acts 4.16, the council asked, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. That's in reference to this. But again, Peter, he takes no credit for the miracle. And I know I mentioned this before, but I'm going to say it again. If Peter wanted to be Pope, this was his chance. I know the Catholics will tell you he was the first Pope, which makes no sense. He clearly had a wife, unless he just wanted to have a mother-in-law without a wife. But instead of him taking advantage of this opportunity to lift himself up, to gain status, to gain position, he makes sure that Christ is the one getting all the glory. And what we learn is that when Christ heals, He heals completely. This is so good. He heals us completely or perfectly. Perfect soundness. What Jesus does, He does perfectly. The Greek word for perfect soundness here, it's only used in this verse. This is the only time it shows up. And it means integrity, as in the integrity of parts or physical wholeness. This man who was born a crippled is now free from any defects. And he is now entire. His healing is complete. He is immediately restored whole. And as we have seen previously in verse 8, he's now walking and leaping and praising God. Some of you can't even grunt. I mean, at least wake up every now and be like, Sunday nights, man. He's now walking and leaping and praising God as though he had never been a cripple at all in his life. 
And I already mentioned before, isn't it amazing that nobody had to teach them how to walk? Now, I want to give you something to shout about. The same is true for every sinner who is born again. God, when we place our faith in Christ, He saves us perfectly. Listen, it doesn't matter how wretched you are. It doesn't matter how miserable you are. We know some of those. Amen. Listen, it doesn't matter how wicked an unbeliever may be. It doesn't matter how crippled or how paralyzed by sin a person may be. Once they place their faith and trust in Christ alone, they are instantaneously, perfectly saved. The new birth is perfect. It's complete. God never comes up short of perfection. God never partially saves anyone. But He completely and totally saves. We are perfectly born into God's family. Now for sure we can grow stronger as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But when Jesus saves us, we are as saved as we'll ever be. Whoop! I don't like the teaching of my free will brethren that says you can lose it. Now, now I gotta give them the I gotta tip the cap to their morality. They're scared to death they're gonna lose it. They're living better than you and I. <laughs> oh, I guess that's just me. <laughs> but listen, once you're saved, that's it, man. You're as saved as you're gonna be forever. Amen. You're saved. He wipes the slate clean. He washes all our sins away through the blood. We are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I understand believers will make mistakes. Thank you, Brett. You and me, me and Brett make mistakes. And, and, and we will sin after we're saved. We will stumble along the way. But God makes no mistakes in our salvation. There's no flaws in your redemption. You've been bought with a price. The precious blood. Christ is our salvation, and since Christ is perfect, it stands to reason that our salvation is perfect. Simeon took the Christ child up in his arms and declared, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Exodus 15.2, The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. David said in Psalm 13, 5, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. When David confesses his sin in Psalm 51, he says in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. You see, it is God's salvation. What in the world makes us think that it could be anything but perfect, anything but complete, anything but whole, entire, and everlasting? 
It is His salvation. So I want to tell you we got something to be joyful about. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of His righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Psalm 35, 9. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in His salvation. You know, if you can't be joyful tonight, I have to wonder if you've ever experienced God's salvation. When's the last time you just went walking and leaping and praising God? Might look a little dainty if you're skipping, guys, but His perfect salvation. Lastly tonight, we see that this miracle was done in the presence of them all. They are all witnesses. They could judge for themselves. All could examine this miracle. Peter and John healed this man through the power of God. And they were not ashamed for this miracle to be examined by everybody around them. And so let me ask you, are you fine with people judging the miracle that you say has taken place in your life? You know, they say the most quoted verse now is Matthew 7, 1 instead of John 3, 16. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Why don't you just keep reading and see what it says? Amen. Amen. Take the beam out and you can judge all you want. And that's why I'm always telling little Suge what to do. I'm so glad I can't hear. I have no idea what you said. Um, but people will often invoke that and say, who are you to judge me? Has God done a miracle in your life? Are you a witness for others to behold and examine? That word sincere just popped in my head. In those days, you'd go to the market and you'd pick up a clay pot and you'd hold it up in the sunlight and you'd see if it had cracks because they would patch it with like a paraffin wax. You could see if it was sincere or not. You could examine it. So you'd always want to go shopping on a sunny day. Are you okay with people examining you? Or do you act ashamed? of what is taking place in your life? Are you put out by the fact that somebody would actually question your Christianity, examine it? Can others behold and confess that indeed a notable miracle hath taken place in your life? Is it manifest to all who dwell around you? Is it undeniable that you're in Christ? We are to be walking manifestations of God's power and authority to perform miracles on the behalf of those who place their faith in Him. Proverbs 4.18, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Isaiah 60 and verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. 1 Peter 2.9, But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
And so, in closing, a, a church in action has faith in the power and authority of Christ in His name. A church in action has been transformed by the power of Christ. A church in action isn't ashamed of their Lord. We don't have to do like the JWs do and close up the windows. We don't have to do like the Mormons do and have a secret intersection of the tabernacle. We could open the windows tonight. I'd probably feel a lot better than I do now. We have nothing to hide. A church in action says, come in. Take a look. A church in action will cause even the lost to declare a notable miracle taking place down there at 1515 Space Avenue. We cannot deny it. We need to continue steadfastly in our faith in Christ. We need to continue to give God all the glory as we go. We need to rejoice in God's perfect salvation. And then may we be an example of the undeniable power of the Lord upon our lives in church. I don't know about you, but I want to witness God do greater things. Even greater things. In our personal lives and in our church body. If we're going to be a church in action, we better hang on because God will use that church. Amen. So where are you at tonight? Where are you at? Have you even placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Or is He still just like a lucky rabbit's foot? Just invoke His name every now and then to feel better about life. Are you saved? If you are saved, are you out there letting people see the miracle that's taking place in your life? Are you okay with that being judged? Or are you ashamed because you know there's something that you're not doing right? Well, I don't want to circle the wagons. Let's pray.